We're talking about what it means to really live out the Christian life and that God's called us to be leaders and that's something that we naturally feel is for somebody else. Like, I'm not a leader. You know, how, can, how can God use me as a leader? I'm just a regular person. And then as we read scripture and we study what leadership is about, we find out that leadership is about influencing people and everybody influences people. So it's never a question of, am I a leader or not? The question is, am I a good leader or a bad leader? That's it. That's the only question. Am I a good leader or a bad leader? But I am a leader. There are people that my life influences in some sort of direction. When we understand that and we think, well, as a Christian, then I want to be a positive example. I would hope that I'm influencing people for good and for God. I hope I'm influencing them in the right direction. But I am influencing people one way or another. So God's called us to lead. He even tells us how in Luke 22, 26. He says, the one who serves you best will be your leader. He tells us what kind of leader to be, a servant leader. I'm here to serve. So he's not a demanding leader. He's not a requiring leader. It's being a servant leader. He says, that's the best one. Right there, when you're there to serve other people, you understand, like, in God's view, God doesn't look at me and say, Look at how many people are serving you. Boy, you must be great. What he says is, Look at how many people you're serving. That's the way God sees it. Another way to see a leadership is I'm a people builder. Am I building people up? With your influence, with your words, whatever, are you building people up? You could be tearing them down. We all lead people because we all influence. It's what kind of leader am I being? What kind of influence do I give out? So we want to lead like Jesus did. So I found seven things about Jesus in leadership that as a follower of Christ, we can apply to our life and we can influence people in the right direction, in a healthy direction. At work, at home, at school. So let's look at these. How to lead others like Jesus. Number one, give them an example. In other words, you lead with your life. You live the type of example, the right type of example, that people can say, okay, that's the way I need to do it. You know, how am I presenting myself to others? In John 13, 15, it says... I have given you an example to follow. Now do as I have done to you. He started. Those were Jesus' words. And he said, I gave you an example. Now you do the same thing. So I want to influence people. I want to influence them by living out the example that Jesus lived in front of me. He was a great example. Now let me take that and do the same thing. Does that influence people? Yes. It totally influences people when you live the type of lifestyle that Christ would want you to. In 1 Peter 5, 3, it says, don't lord it over the people assigned to your care, but lead them by your good example. So God is asking you to be that good example for other people, in front of other people. Look at 1 Timothy 4, 1. Sometimes you think, okay, I want to lead by example, but 
In what areas? Like, how do I lead by example? In 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, set an example for the believers in speech. So the way I talk to people, maybe the language I use, is it a good example? Because he's saying that's part of the way. How do I talk? He said, set an example for them in speech in life, the way I'm living, like I just talked about. Am I living the type of love, a life that's a good example? Set an example for the believers in love. How do I treat other people? The people I influence. Who do you influence? Your kids? Friends? By your actions and stuff? The way that I show love to people, is it a good influence or a bad influence? It is an influence. Is it good or bad? In faith, do I show that I trust God? I want to lead by example. The people around me, do they say, wow, he trusts God? Because that influences them to trust God. The other one, he says, and in purity, integrity. Do I have integrity? Am I modeling these things? So those are five ways, our speech, our life, our love, our faith, our purity. Those are ways to be an example. So many times when I speak on Sunday, I'll speak messages about what's in it for you. Something that can help you let go of bitterness or something that can help you, you know, have a better marriage or something that can help you. You know, a lot of my messages are about what can help you, what can help you, what can help you. But the last couple of weeks, I've been focusing on how can you help others? How can you help others? You have to have that balance. You have to have that balance. God wants to pour stuff into your life and help you, but ultimately, he wants you to help others as well. So as a Christian, you don't want to have the mindset where it's only about what's in it for me, but you also want to have that mindset of, and I'm going to live a life that helps others. I want God to give to me, then I want to give to you. It's that type of mindset. So I think this is crucial with Easter coming up because there's a lot of people that will come to a church during Easter time, check out the church and like it. And we always have to be other-centered, other-centered, where we're always thinking about the other person. You know, like, how are they feeling? You know, that new person, do they feel comfortable? If we don't think about others, we sometimes can think we're a loving church. But if you're not other-centered, we're not being loving, especially to that new person. So it's very important as a believer that we're receiving from God, our life is getting better and better because of our relationship with God, and then we use that good to help others. So that's the one thing that Jesus did. That's the first thing, is he was an example to them. The second thing is, challenge them to a greater purpose. You know what leaders do that? A leader helps you to go for something bigger than what you thought. A greater cause, a greater purpose, a greater project. That means if Jesus wants me to do better, something greater than before, and I'm going to be a good leader, I'm going to influence my friends. I'm going to say, you can do it. I believe in you. person says, you know, I've been trying to start this diet, but I don't know if I can do it. And then you say, you can do it. I believe in you. I have great expectations for you. They say, well, it's really hard, but you can do it. What I'm trying to say is that's Christian living. 
Christian living is helping people reach something that they don't believe they can just through influence. You can't do it for them, but you can influence them. And you say, well, that's what it means to live a Christian life? Yeah. That's part of loving your neighbor as yourself. And you see, Jesus did that all the time. He challenged us and stretched us to do something that we never thought was possible. I think like a good coach, you know, on an athletic team, a good coach tells the players and helps them to believe that they can win, even though the other team has more talent. The other team has more ability. We've all seen this. Some of the most exciting experiences that you see in sports is when the underdog team wins. And you say, how did they beat that team? They had more talent. They had more ability. But somehow, the coach or whoever was there helped that group of people to believe that they could do more than what they could. And they did. Happens all the time. That's what God does with us. One day, there was a young man, and he was very wealthy, and he went to Jesus and he said, there's got to be more to life than wealth, basically. That's what he was saying. And he was a very rich guy. This guy loved money. He loved his wealth and felt proud of it. And Jesus challenged him in a priority. Listen to this. This isn't for everybody. You can't read one verse that Jesus says this to somebody over there and says, okay, that's for everybody. No, that's not how it works. It's for that guy that Jesus spoke to. There's a reason behind it. But the principle is for everybody. Here's Mark 10, 21. Here's what Jesus told that guy. Okay, you really want to be, you really want to go for God 100%? He says, go and sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Wow. Is that a challenge? Is that pushing that guy beyond what he thinks is possible for him to do? Yeah. Can you imagine that? You know, you love money, you live for wealth, and you say, man, I've dedicated my whole life to getting rich, and God, I also want to serve you. And then he says, okay, give all your money to the poor, and then serve me. Is that a challenge? Why would he do that? Because he knew this guy loved money. He knew that in this guy's case, money prevented him from really going for God. Now, Jesus challenges you, too, in life. We all know that there's things that if we really want to go for God more, we probably have to give something up. Or maybe you've already given it up. But we all know that. Sometimes it's, you know, it can be anything, but you know, this is preventing me from being the best I can be. I'm going to give it up. And sometimes it's not, it's not always a bad thing that you have to give up. Like, sometimes it is. Like, if I want to get my life together, I might have to give up uh, alcohol if you have an uh, alcohol problem. Or you might have to give up drugs. But usually it's not stuff like that. Let me tell you why. Usually there's good things that you're doing that you have to give up to have the best. You know, it's a good thing, but it's just hindering you from having time to do the best. So what is this telling us as leaders And in a culture that we live in where we don't like to tell people what to do, but here's what it's teaching us. If you're a real friend, sometimes you go to that person and you say, you have to give that up. You're messing up your life. You have to give that up. You say, I don't want to parent somebody else. I hate doing that. If you love people, you do that. If you love people, you sometimes go up to them and say, 
you're married. You got to give up that relationship. Stop that. You know what's going on, you know, so you say, you've got to stop that. Or look at what you're doing with your life. And you're getting drunk and you can't, and you're going to lose your job. You've got to stop that. Being a Christian means that you have to challenge people to give up things that they don't want to. And like I said, we don't like to get in other people's business. We don't want, it's very uncomfortable. But a true friend will do that. Now, am I saying that you do that to everybody you know? No. I think you have to have a relationship with someone first. If you're their friend, you can do that. You've earned the right to speak. Bad Christianity is when people are going up to strangers and saying, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this. That's bad Christianity. Doesn't that turn people off? But if you're my friend and I've got a relationship with you, and I see what you're doing. It could be a hobby. I could say, you're so busy with the hobby, your marriage is suffering. Or you're so busy with your hobby, and you don't have any time for your, for your own kids. You've got to give it up. And out of love, that's being a Christian. It's hard. It's hard. What, what, is, Christian, what is leadership? Influencing people. Sometimes you have to influence people to give something up. And you feel like, it's not my place to say anything. If they're your friend, it's your place. It just depends on the relationship. How about this one? Talking about how Jesus challenges us in Matthew 5, I mean 10, 5, 7, and 8. Jesus sent the disciples out with these instructions. Go announce the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, and cast out demons. Give as freely as you have received. Okay, I was saying Jesus constantly challenges us to do more than what we can. He told that guy that was wealthy, give all your money to the poor. Wow. What is that? Well, what does he say here? Hey, guys, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to challenge you a bit, okay? They say, sure, what is it? Go tell people about the kingdom of God. I can do that. I'll go out there and say, hey, God loves you. God has a great plan for your life. I got it, God. And then raise the dead. Wait a minute. And then raise the dead. That's impossible. And then he says, yes. Now go do it. What I'm trying to say is, God will challenge you to do the impossible. Whatever you think is impossible, whatever's holding you back, God will challenge you to do the impossible. I can't do that. I could never reach that goal. It's, that goal is just a dream. There's no way I can do it. And then he's challenging you. Yes, you can. Go. Yes, you can. Go. Would you agree that go tell people about Jesus. And by the way, while you're at it, raise up dead people back to life. Would you agree that that's probably an impossible goal? Would you be like me and say, okay, uh, am I getting this information right? You're talking about spiritually dead, right? Not physical dead. He was talking about the physical dead. You know what they did? Is he got them enough. He, they believed in him enough that they finally went for it. And there were some people that died, and they came back to life. You know, it was un unbelievable. Now, here again, this was a message directly to those 12 people. That's not a message saying that he's sending you out to do this. But the principle is in Scripture. Here's the principle. Be willing to believe in something that you know is impossible 
And if God tells you to do it, try. Try. Just try. Some things are for everybody. Some things are for a certain group of people. Here's another challenge. He said this in Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Go make disciples of all nations. When he said that, there were no ocean-bearing ships. That was impossible to all nations. How would they get to the New World? How would they get to the Americas? How would they even get to India back then? Or to China? Or to Japan? Or how, how would they? How can he tell us this? This is too much. But you know what? That was his challenge. He said, I don't want you to shoot for a goal that I know you can. Why didn't he say, go throughout the whole Middle East? Why didn't he say that? Because that's something that they could do. No challenge, no faith. Would it take any faith for them to go throughout the Middle East? Not really. We can do that. Okay, God, good plan. That makes a lot of sense. Let's go. Zero faith. But when you say go to the whole world, that takes faith. They couldn't do it. How can we do this? This seems impossible. That's how God speaks to us. He wants you to believe that you can do more than what you really can. So you have to have faith, and you'll try. Do you think they covered a lot more ground trying to reach the whole world than they would have not? Of course they did. Because they were trying to reach the whole world, they got all the way through Europe, not just the Middle East. They got all of Northern Africa. They got all of Western Asia, all that in their lifetime. If you look at how much ground they covered, it's phenomenal. You can't believe it. How do they do that in a lifetime? Then the next generation of Christians went farther and farther and farther. And now, you know, people know about Jesus all around the world. It's everywhere now. But they had to believe it was possible to try. And what I'm saying is as a Christian, and we look at him as an example of influence, that's how we influence people. We want to help people believe in something bigger. You know, you can do it. Try. You can do it. Try. There is one way to guarantee failure. Don't try. So I'm saying, that's what it means as a Christian. That's a lifestyle that I live, that I encourage others to try. Yeah. That's how we live. God blesses us and encourages us to try to go for something bigger. And because we go for it, we have more success in our life than what we ever dreamed would happen because we tried, even though we don't reach our goal. Most people never reach their goal. If they have a good goal, they don't reach it. Not an easy goal, but something like that takes faith. Like, okay, I know that's impossible. I'm going to shoot for that. And they'll never reach it. But because they're shooting for something big and they're trying so hard, they end up doing way more than they ever dreamed possible. And they have great success. And that's fulfilling. You like to see success in your life. You like to say, well, I got more done than I ever believed would have happened. Because I tried. So that's a Christian life. And now we want to influence our kids to reach for something bigger. Encourage your husband or spouse. You can do it. Maybe they feel discouraged with work. And I don't know how we're going to work this out. And then to have their husband or wife say, you can do it. I believe in you. That's being a Christian. I believe in you. You can do it. That's encouraging people. So that's a second way. When you're trying to bring out the best in people, 
I encourage you to do four little things. One is think about who is it that I can influence. Then pray about them, you know, pray for them. God, I pray that I can encourage that person with what they're going through to do something better. Then ask the person how you can help them. Hey, is there any way I can help you with that? That's a real friend does that. Is there any way I can help you with that? And then give suggestions. I believe you can do it. When I was in college, there was a friend of mine, Mark Chen was his name. And he came to me and he said, Jimmy, would you lead a Bible study with, for us in the dorms? Just me, him, and these three other guys. And I said, I've never led a Bible study before. I don't know if I'm comfortable with this. But he said, you do well, you do well. And he said, I'm a new Christian, and they're all new Christians. You've been a Christian for a while. You know more than us. And just out of the blue, this guy's asking me to lead a Bible study. I'm thinking, like, I'm not comfortable doing something like this. But because of his suggestion, because of his belief in me, because of him saying, you can do it, I decided, well, I better at least try. So we start this Bible study with the five of us. In less than a year, there were 90 college students on average, 90 was like our average tenants, showing up every Monday night for this Bible study that I planned for five guys. 90 kids coming every week. You know, sometimes there'd be 125. On a low week, there'd be 60. But about 90 every week coming for a Bible study. And it blew me away. What's going on here? It changed the whole course of my life. When I said yes to that Bible study, I had no clue what I was really saying yes to. Because I'm here today because of that decision that I made back then. Because I had no desire to be a pastor. I had no desire. I, I, I had a desire to be a, live a Christian life and be a good person and you know, be a good dad and all those things. But that decision changed my life. Because a guy believed in me and said, you can do it. You can do it. So I just tried. That, he was being a real friend to me. Just challenging me to try something that I was afraid to do. And it changed my life. Number three, affirm them for their potential. As a Christian, in our influence for other people, because we love them, we want to affirm them. We want to affirm them and encourage them. Back in the 50s, the Green Bay Packers, they were a losing team. They only won during the 50s, uh, like 30% of their games. They were really bad struggling during that time. In 1958 was their most embarrassing year. They won one game and lost 10. Back then, they only played 11 games, but they won one and lost 10. Then the very next year, they got a new coach, Vince Lombardi. And the next nine years, they had winning seasons, and they won 75% of their games. And they never had a losing season for the next nine years. And they won... Five national championships. Two of them were the Super Bowl because the Super Bowl started. So how is it that you can have the same players, because it was pretty much the same team, the same team that goes one win and ten losses to never having a losing season and winning five national championships? How is that possible? There's only one key factor. They had a new leader that believed in them. You know they didn't believe in themselves. Not after going one and ten. You, you, you believe that you're lousy is what you believe. They had a new coach. 
and he believed in them, and he affirmed them, and he told them that they could do it. And however he did it, he got them to believe because they believed enough to try, and they did it. And they became the most success successful team over the next nine years after that. In Mark 10, 21, it says, Jesus looked steady at him and was filled with love for him. Jesus is very affirming. I just want us to see that, like, you could tell, like, when Jesus was talking to you, you could tell, he loves me. This guy really cares about me. There's something about when you feel affirmed that can make you, it can turn your life around. You can be so depressed, and you go and talk to a friend, and you feel loved by them, and it pulls you out of your depression. You feel like, I can make it. I can make it. Just because I have a real friend. Somebody talking to me. That's Christianity. That's what it means to show love. That's how you bring the best out of your kids, your wife, your husband, or your girlfriend or boyfriend, is you affirm them. You encourage them. You help to lift them up when they're feeling down. You don't kick them when they're down. You lift them up. Look at John 14, 12. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Does that make your head spin? When I read a verse like that, I say, wait, wait, wait. Because the first thing that comes to my mind when he says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, you guys are going to do greater things than I did. And going back to the raising the dead because Jesus did, and him going up to people and touching them and they'd be healed. And he's saying that we're going to do greater things than he did. I think, well, he's just teasing. That's never going to happen. But then I think about it. We actually have the ability to do greater things today. Because what's the greatest thing that would bless God's heart is people coming to the Lord. People that are hurting and their lives turning around. People whose marriages are falling apart and then they get healed. People who's having a bad relationship with a son or daughter and they're going in the wrong direction and then they bring them back to the right direction. People who have a dad that's struggling with some sort of addiction and the family's going down and they bring him back and the family goes back up. With the internet, we have more influence. We can influence a billion people. There's so much that we have today that we can actually influence more lives than Jesus did without ever raising anybody from the dead, without ever touching somebody who's got some mess in their arm going like this, without ever doing that, we have, more in, we have the ability to influence more lives than Jesus did. He's saying this. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things. He will do even greater things. Have you ever thought about the, the great things that we can do because of faith? Like, it can be against the law to go into a certain country in the Middle East. And it's against the law to, to speak about Christianity or to speak about God outside of there is some faith, and you're just not allowed to do it. And yet, we can be here 
8,000 miles away, and we can all together pray for that country, and nothing can stop our prayers from getting in. Isn't that amazing? We can do great things. We can be here praying for that country. And all the government that they have there cannot stop our prayers from getting in. What an amazing thing. We can do greater things than what you imagine, especially when you think of the power of prayer and how God can use prayer in their lives. Proverbs 12, 25 says, a word of encouragement does wonders. So you want to encourage people. Find them doing something good. Have you ever noticed as a parent, I'm guilty of this. You can ask my kids. They'll tell you afterwards. I'm guilty of this. They, They would be doing good things. I don't say anything. But then they do something wrong, and I say, hey, 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 don't do that. We're good at pointing out their mistakes, right? Well, look at this one. A word of encouragement does wonders. I think we need to get better at pointing out what they're doing good. Don't catch them doing something wrong. How about catching them doing something good? Hey, that was really good. Hey, I caught you. That was really good how you treated your friend. Why can't we catch them doing good? Be more affirming. Because as a parent, we do naturally want to make sure, okay, let's stop that behavior. Let's stop that behavior. But I think it's maybe even more important for us to encourage them when they're doing the right thing. So that way they, it reaffirms, it reaffirms that right behavior. Number four, here's what Jesus did. Trust them with responsibility. There's something about trusting people that develops them faster. Jesus was willing to trust people. And if I'm going to be a good leader, if I'm going to be a good friend, if I'm going to influence you in a positive way, I have to trust you. People aren't going to get anything done if they're not trusted. So, we have to trust people. Let's say that you're a mom here. There's moms here. And let's say you're listening to this and you think, I'm a leader. Well, think about this. At least for me, my mom was probably the number one influence in my life. Right? Most people would probably say that if they really think about it because your mom is usually the number one influence in all those early years. And they say by the time you're six or seven, you're pretty much in the direction you're headed at that early age from your mom. There's going to be some changes along the way. But those early instructions, that early guidance is the most powerful impact on most everybody's life. So sometimes a mom, a stay-at-home mom, might feel like, I'm wasting my life not knowing that they're the most powerful influence on society. So a leader is a person that's influencing people. I think moms in general are the greatest at that. Look at Matthew 16, 19. I'm giving you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. Whatever you open on earth will be opened in heaven. Is he giving them responsibility? Is he trusting them? Unbelievable trust. He's saying, I'm allowing you to do it. Go for it. So you want to trust people. That's how you influence people, is trust them. That's how you can encourage them to be a better person, is you trust them. Sometimes we want to step in and save them from mistakes, thinking that that's a, uh, a good friend and stuff like that. And that, that can be in, ca- in some cases. But sometimes the best way for people to learn 
is for you to trust them and say, go for it. And then let them make mistakes along the way. Mistakes aren't fatal. That's part of education. Like, here's how I do things in the church. When I find somebody that's willing to say, okay, I'll take on the worship team. Or, like Jerry. Or, you know, I'll run the women's ministry or whatever. I don't hover over them. I say, go for it. You know what's going to happen? Because they're human just like me and you, they're going to make some mistakes along the way. That's okay, but that's how you learn. You can't be the type of person that you're so afraid that they're going to do something wrong that you hover over them and you're micromanaging them and you're making sure they got it right. That inhibits them from growth because they never learn to think for themselves and they start relying on you. That's the complete opposite of how I do things. I say, can you do it? It's yours. Go for it. And you know what I do? Is I absolutely do not worry about it after that. And they'll make mistakes here and there, and they'll correct them, and they'll get wiser, and they get more comfortable, and they learn how to do it better, and they end up making the church great. Great. So failure's not bad. It's a, it's a learning tool. You want to have wisdom, look at Luke 6, 16, 10. Whoever can be trusted with a little can also be trusted with a lot. As a friend, you might not trust them with something too big at the beginning because they might not be ready. Let's say it's a kid or something. Trust them with something little. And then as they go, then you can trust them with more. Then as they go, you can trust them with more. But it's not bad that people make mistakes. You just love on them and say, I make mistakes too. In 1 Corinthians 13, 7, it says, if you love someone, you will always believe in him and always expect the best of him. So you just love them, you believe in them, you expect the best. That's being a Christian to people. By the way, if you take everything I'm talking about and you run your business this way, you're going to be the best boss in the world. No one's going to be a better boss than Jesus, and this is how he did it. Number five, offer them honest feedback. Because... We need correction sometimes. We need correction. We need help. We need someone to say, that didn't work. In Matthew 17, 20, it says, it was because you did not have enough faith, answered Jesus. I assure you that if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could do anything. They were in this situation where they were trying something and it failed. And Jesus said, it's because you didn't have enough faith. Jesus didn't gloss over it. And, said, you know, he told him what the problem was. He, why did he do this? Because he loves him. Now, here again, he has a relationship with him. There's already a friendship built. He's already earned the right to be heard. But your employees at work, they need to hear you say, it's because you dropped the ball here. Your, your children need to hear you say, it's because I told you that you need to start studying when you first get at home and play, play afterwards. And I came home from work, and you were playing, and you didn't study first, and that's why you ran out of time, and that's why you made that bad grade. What you did was wrong. We're going to have to correct that behavior. You have to make correction, and that's a loving thing. The, be the best coach in college basketball was John Wooden, and he's the, over at UCLA. He had seven straight years where they were champions, national champions, in a 12-year period, they won 10 times. Can you believe that? Who wins the national championships 10 times in a 12-year period? 
that's just mind-boggling that that's even possible. But he did it. But they said he was great at correcting. He wasn't afraid to pull his guys aside and correct them and say, this has to change. This has to change. You're not going to do it this way anymore. If you want me to put you in the game, you're going to do it like this next time, or I'm pulling you out of the game, and I'm going to put in the other guy. And he wasn't afraid to pull out the star and say, it's got to be done this certain way. He corrected them into 10 national championships. That's correction I like. See, we don't like to be corrected sometimes, but think about it this way. If someone can correct you into being successful, wouldn't you want to receive that? That's what he was doing with his players. That's why we need correction. That's why the opinion card in your bulletin, it tells you some good things. But on here it says, what did you like least? Why did I put that on the card? Like you came to the church service and it says, hmm, what did you like least about the service? Because I... I want to know. I want correction. What if there's something that we could do different? Sometimes people put something that they like least, but we just don't have the ability at this time to correct that. I agree, but we just can't do that yet. We just don't have the manpower or whatever. But I agree. Most of the time, it's things that we could change. There's something about that. When you desire correction, you're actually desiring a better life. As a Christian... Sometimes you have to correct somebody. The Bible says, speak the truth in love. If you don't do it in the right way, you're going to destroy them. You have to do it in a loving way, but you have to correct them. You know, but it's all about how you go about it. Look at Ephesians 4.29. Don't use harmful words. Use only helpful words, the kind that build up. So when you have to correct somebody, you're doing it in a way to build them up, to encourage them. Like, they feel good about who they are, but they recognize that they need to work on that issue. If you make them feel bad about who they are, they're never going to want correction from you again. It's not, it's, it's how you do it that's important. Number six, treat them as equals. This one shocked me. I don't know why we can read through the Bible, and there's things in there, and you just read right over it, and you don't notice it. Because... Do you feel like you're an equal to Jesus? Do you feel like, well, we know he's God, so we're not equal to him. But do you feel like you're an equal? But listen to this. In John 15, 15, Jesus said to the disciples, I do not call you servants. Instead, I call you friends. What does that mean? Jesus is God coming to earth as a man and treating these disciples as equals. That's what he did. He called you a friend. A friend means they're equal, right? You're my friend. You're not my servant. Servant means you're working for me and I'm over you. You're not my servant. You're my friend. You're my equal. That's one of the most powerful, most overlooked verses in the Bible. Because if Jesus is saying, you're my friend, then for sure we treat people as equals. So, as a Christian, if I'm going to really live a Christian lifestyle, no one's going to feel like I think I'm better than them. If somebody feels like Jimmy thinks he's better than others, then obviously I'm not being like Jesus. Because Jesus, with his own disciples, said, I call you my friends. 
We're equals. I'm not, I'm not treating you like I think I'm better than you. Look at Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your real life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. Mind-boggling, this verse. It's another one like that. This is saying, someday when Christ is in heaven, we're going to be there, and he's going to say, you're going to share in my glory. So wait a minute. You should get the glory, God. It should be yours. Jesus, you get all the glory. And it's like, when you win the Oscar, you start allowing people to share in your glory. Because all the glory is going to you. You won the Oscar. You're great. Look at you up there. And then you say, I would like to thank so-and-so for what they did over here. What's that person doing? He's getting other people to share in his glory. This isn't just about me. I'm here because of what that person did. And that person did something great that affected this. And somebody, they did that. And that person, and I want to thank him over there. They're all sharing in his glory. Now, he's on the spotlight. But he's not getting all the glory. He's taking it and he's sharing it with them. That's what it says Jesus is going to do with you and I. He's going to sh- we're going to share in his glory. So he's treating us like we're one of his equals. And we're not. We're not equal to God. But he treats us like we're one of his equals. We're sharing in his glory. That's why the worst example of Christianity in the world is pridefulness and arrogance. When Christians treat other people as if they think that they're better than them. That's the worst example. That's not Jesus. That's the devil. Pride and arrogance is the attribute of the devil in the Bible. When you read about the characteristics of the devil, it talks about him being prideful, arrogant, things like that. So that's not God. That's the devil. Number seven, pray for them. As a person who's God's calling me and you to influence people, one of the things we do is we pray for them. We pray for them. Pray for your friends. Pray for your family. Pray for your neighbors. Pray for a coworker. In Luke 22, 32, it says, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus was praying for Simon. That was Simon Peter. He was praying for him. How about this one? In John 17, I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me because of their testimony. That's talking about you. Listen, I'm praying not only for these disciples, not just the 12, but also for all who will ever believe in me. Did you know that while Jesus was on earth on one day, he was on earth here, and he was praying for you, 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 for me? You mean Jesus was praying for me one day? Yes. Because it says here, I am praying not only for you guys, talking about the disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me. If Jesus has prayed for me, I think I'm doing pretty good. I want you guys to pray for me. I want you guys to pray for me. But I know, I know for sure if Jesus is praying for me, I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I want everybody to pray for me. But man, I've got Jesus prayed for me. If there's anybody that has a powerful prayer life, I'm sure it's him. So when you love people, you pray for them. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's living out the Christian life. We say love your neighbor yourself, but what does that mean? These type of attributes, influencing, affirming, 
praying for them. If we can take these attributes and make them a regular part of our life, that's mature Christianity. Mature Christianity isn't memorizing 500 Bible verses. That could help you to get mature, no doubt about it. But what I'm trying to say is, if I memorize those verses, but I don't live this lifestyle, I'm still not mature. Mature Christianity isn't reading through the Bible every, every day. That should help you to mature because the God's word comes in and it influences your mind and heart, and it should help you to mature as a person. But there are people that can read the Bible and they don't necessarily live a mature life. We're starting 40 days of prayer. We're asking everybody during the next 40 days, uh, we're going to be praying together. We have material. If you haven't gotten it yet, maybe you didn't sign up for it, we'll email it to you. And we're starting today. Like for the next 40 days between now and Easter, we're reading the passage, we're praying. We're all doing it on our own at home, but we're all doing it collectively because we're all doing it together. So I'm encouraging you to do that. Because 40 days of praying together and doing this, it should help mature you. But realize the whole point is for it to change the way I live. That's spiritual maturity. Is it changing the way I live? Am I loving people better? Am I influencing people in a better way for a better life? I'm willing to do this. I want to bring out the best in everybody. I want to build people up. I want us collectively to be committed to, we're not going to be perfect, and we know that, because Jesus is a perfect example. I want all of us to be together on this saying, we're going to really try to influence people. We're going to take some responsibility, and if we have a friend whose life is not headed in the right direction, we can see they're ruining their life, we're not going to keep quiet. We're going to love them and try to encourage them back on the right track. In other words, we're going to really care about people. We're going to really care about people. We want lives to be healthy. We want families to be healthy. And we don't leave it up to them to just get there on their own. If there's a way that we can influence, not being pushy, but if there's a way for us to influence them in the right direction, that is being a Christian. That's something that we want to do. So with that, Let's take some uh, time out and let's pray. And let's ask God to put people in our minds that we can encourage that are hurting, that are struggling. And let's just love on those people. Let's just love them. Let's pray. Dear God, we desire to influence people like Jesus did, to encourage them, to challenge them, to do great things. We want to do that with our kids, with our husband and wife, with our friends. Lord, and we know people that are hurting around us and they need encouragement. And sometimes we think, oh, it's not my place to say anything. But Lord, help us to love them so much that we'll say something. But help us to be sensitive so we say it right. Lord, because we don't want to turn them off. We want to draw them to you. And Lord, we're asking that you use our life to make the world a better place. We want that. Lord, so... We're offering our lives to you. We're saying, God, here am I. Use me. I'm not going to be perfect, God, but I really want to try to do my part. It's in Jesus' name that we make this commitment. Amen.